What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. They make suits, shirts, coats, and more. And everything is made to your exact measurement for a great fit. Plus, you get to personalize all the details, including your lapel, lining, and your own monogram. They have tons of things to choose from. You want a pink suit? You can get a pink suit. And speaking of pink suits, RJ Barrett's brand new collection with Indochino just dropped. Featuring limited edition fabrics and jacket linings, RJ helped pick out and design. Indochino's process is simple. Choose your fabric, pick your customizations, and submit your measurements. Your package will be delivered straight to your door in two weeks. You can get measured and design your suit at your nearest Indochino showroom, or you can do it yourself online at Indochino.com. Right now, you can get $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering Blue Wire at checkout. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com promo code Blue Wire for $30 off your total purchase of $390 or more. Incredible deal for made-to-measure clothing. You really have no excuse anymore to wear clothing that doesn't fit. What it do, Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Valley coming at you with my super duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times, awesome, fantabulous, spectaculario is ready for Carmelo Anthony to win MVP with the Portland Trailblazers co-host Andrew D. Bailey. Before we get started with our mailbag slash injury sads slash Carmelo Anthony reaction podcast, just our usual. Housekeeping notes. Above all else, please continue rating, reviewing, subscribing to us on iTunes. We can also be found wherever else you are getting your fantastic podcasts beyond us, although why would you need any podcasts beyond us? However, iTunes is still the best way to let us know that you are out there and that you are listening. Definitely subscribe. Throw us a five-star rating. Write whatever you want in the reviews. You can talk about Andy being able to dunk until he's going to be like age 60, I think, is maybe when he'll be able to stop dunking. Whatever you want to write. We're always reading them. But give us that five-star rating and subscribe. If you've done all of those things, please, pretty please, with sugar on top, recommend us. Retweet our promos for the podcast. Shout us out on Twitter. Steal people's phones. Subscribe them to the Hardwood Knox podcast, and they will thank you later. Anything you can do just as an endorsement of what we are doing around these parts. You may also follow the Hardwood Knox podcast on Twitter, at Hardwood Knox, and then go follow Andy on Twitter, at Andrew D. Bailey, I am at Dan Favalli. That's F-A-V-A-L-E. The show is, or excuse me, not the show, but Blue Wire Pods, the network we are hosted by and that has a great deal of other awesome podcasts. You should also follow them on Twitter as well, at Blue Wire Pods. Lastly, but certainly not leastly, we shout out our sponsors of for these, this week's podcast. This is our second of the week. You've already heard from Indochino. They are amazing. We are also brought to you this week by Harry's and Roman. So help us out, help them out, throw those promo codes in there with uh, you know, the, the websites we're going to provide you and the promo codes to come in this podcast. So shout out to all three of them. Whew, 
Andy, how are you doing? I am doing wonderful. Um, excited to dive back in. I feel like it's been a little bit for me, so allow me to you know work off the uh, the rust and uh, dive right into all these things that we have to talk about. It's been a wild uh, at least week or so since I've been on, so I'm ready to go. Yeah, it's a little crazy. I mean, let's let's just start with the mellow stuff. In the middle, look, look at Carmelo Anthony stealing the Knicks Mavericks Thunder on Thursday night. In the middle of that game, Woj tweeted that Carmelo Anthony is signing a non-guaranteed contract with the Blazers. Uh, he's going to join Portland on its upcoming road trip. You guys will be listening to this hopefully on a Saturday. Uh, he could join the team or play with the team technically as early as then. What you know? What was your initial reaction to this? Um, mild surprise, I guess. Uh, I, I, I guess it was a legit Woj bomb, which we haven't had for a while. So when I read those notifications, I'm at least like <laughs> a little surprised. But then I, you know, I started thinking about it. I, I don't think it's a particularly smart move for the Blazers, but I get it. I, I understand what they're doing. Zach Collins is down for a little bit. Yusuf Nurkic is already obviously hurt. Um, they're thin up front. There's just no question about it. They traded away Myers Leonard. Um, they're, <laughs> they've been playing Mario Hazonia heavy minutes in the front court. Um, and I think you and you and I maybe even talked about how cool it would be if they played Hazonia four and five minutes. Uh, but seeing it in practice is a lot different than speculating about it before the season. Um, they needed help inside. I, I just, I'm very spec- <laughs> skeptical as to whether Mello can provide it. I, I wrote a quick reaction for it um, as, you know, it was just a small part of another bigger piece last night. And just diving into the numbers, um, he's been a thoroughly negative player for a few years now, and he's been away from the game for a year. Um, I was thinking, too, just just think about the kind of defense you'll get from a lineup that includes Lillard, McCollum, Rodney Hood, Carmelo Anthony, and Hassan Whiteside. Um, and what about those, when those lineups like don't have like Hassan Whiteside in it, or yeah. if they don't have like if it's I don't know like Nasir Little yeah. instead of Rodney Hood? <laughs> Whiteside can he can help you defensively at least from time to time. Uh, but you're right; they're not always going to be able to play with him. Uh, there, there's the potential that Portland just gets lit up when Carmelo Anthony is on the floor. Um, my my general, you know, final takeaway from the thing was. It seems like a huge ask at this point because I feel like we've been asking it for two or three years now. But if he can uh, abandon the long twos, focus on just being a floor spacing four, um, I, I don't know what he can do defensively. He's just got to focus, I guess. I, I don't think he has the athletic ability to stay in front of people on the perimeter anymore. So, and, and I don't know if it's too late in his career to figure out how to be one of those strong positional defenders. You don't necessarily have to be this freak athlete to be good defensively in the NBA. If you can shout out Joe Ingles. Anticip- yeah. Joe Ingles. Great, great call. If you have good anticipation, uh, if you know how to use your length, I think you can still be effective on that end. We just, I don't know if we've ever seen that from Melo, even when he was a good athlete. Um, so <laughs> there are major, major question marks with this move for me, but having said all that, I, I kind of get why they did it. I get why they did it too. And I go back and forth between thinking that, you're over you're overstating how I guess combustible the move is, and then just flat out agreeing with you because 
the thing with Carmelo Anthony now is regardless of what you thought about his first take appearance over the summer, uh, how self-serving it was, how deflective it was, like he's clearly at the point where the role is not the issue anymore. He wants to be on a team. He flat out, he flat out told Stephen A. Smith that. Like it was the one of the most telling quotes to me. Like people focused in on the "You're going to tell me I'm not good enough to make one of the 30, 15 man rosters." And even the fact that he mentioned it in that terms, it's like, oh, maybe he's willing to play anywhere. But he also said, "I want to play and I want to go and win a championship, but I also want to play." I want to get back out there on the court. I missed the game. I was away from the game for damn near a whole season. I got the opportunity to step back and grow as a person, and I deserve another shot. I just think he's ready to be in a situation where maybe he's helping the Blazers, maybe he's barely even playing, and he's not going to cause a ruckus, or he's not going to, you know, that that sense of entitlement that we saw in Oklahoma City, even in Houston a little bit, because he was so shocked um, that he was one kind of booted from the plan, but also when they initially wanted him to come off the bench, that's not going to be an issue now. The actual issue is Carmelo Anthony's popularity. Carmelo Anthony's reputation is his baggage. And so mm-hmm. if the Blazers don't play Carmelo Anthony, it's a story. It doesn't mean that Melo's making it a story. It's a story because it's Melo. And so yeah. you would assume that the Blazers have more of a stomach for that than the Rockets because they're signing Melo after this Houston thing. At the same time, the contract is non-guaranteed. And so that's where the, the worry really cakes in. As far as what he can do for them on the court, I honestly, look, you knew I was a mellow optimist when he went to Houston. Yeah. It's tough for me to maintain that here. He's He did adjust the types of shots he was taking. Uh, nearly 35% of his total looks in OKC and Houston combined came as catch-and-shoot threes. And just for reference, his final season with the Knicks, only 19.6% of his shots were catch-and-shoot threes, which was a pretty high number for him. So he basically doubled that type of output. And he shot combined okay, 36.5% on those looks, but he was terrible in Houston on them. And then you have to live with the, or maybe not so much anymore, you have to worry about him hijacking possessions, or like you said, those long twos. Perhaps it will that won't be an issue either in Portland because Carmelo Anthony, I hesitate to say, look, this is rock bottom. Let's just say it for Carmelo Anthony. And so he'll be so desperate to fit in that I don't think functionally anything will be the issue. It's can he make the shots the Blazers want him to take? And maybe they'll even give him a little bit more freedom. They're uh, seventh in isolation frequency this season. So maybe he will have an opportunity to work. And, and they are seventh, or excuse me, they're they're second in isolation frequency. They are second in isolation frequency. Sorry, everybody. They are seventh in mid-range frequency. So maybe that helps Mello a little bit too. I I honestly don't know. And you mentioned uh, him playing the four, and that's obviously what he's going to do, and they do need a four. Look, I don't throw him at the five. If you want to see him jab step or post up and your defense is going to suck anyway, put him at the five, and maybe that's how you get him some post-ups. I know that I'm aggressive when it comes to small ball units, but what are you missing out on at this point? Anthony Tolliver at the five. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, you know, Pau Gasol is not healthy. Uh, Yusuf Nurkic isn't healthy. And I forgot they had Pau Gasol for a second too. And they have Scal who's had some interesting minutes this season, but you could try that. And so I'm just, I'm of the mind that I'm happy Mel's back in the NBA. And I hope it's a situation where even if he doesn't play well, and I'm not expecting him to play well, I hope that he's able to, to just fit in. And I mean that from a perspective of not just what he does in the locker room behind the scenes or, or how he acts. I don't think that's going to be the problem. I hope that we 
you know, the media, the fans, that we just let this play out no matter what his role is, because it would just be cool to see him finish the, the season on their team. And that, to me, effectively is what he's playing for, to, to wrap my point on this up, is he's not there to turn around the Blazers' season. I don't even know that they're counting on him to be any more than a body for them in the front court. He's really just playing for the right to finish the season. And so I am very interested to see how it how it pans out. Yeah, that would be cool. Um, as others have said, I, I, I think it would be great if he could you know, establish himself to the point where then he can then go out on his own terms. Um, given the career that he's had, and, and you know that I'm probably a little bit more nitpicky of his career than most people are, but he's a legendary scorer, um, and I'm with you. I think it'd be really cool if it <laughs> works out to the, to the extent that you know, he can finish the season there. I think that's a great way to put it. Yeah, and it's you know, pe- like people who think that this is like a real last chance. My my whole thing here is this doesn't impact. Uh, we get so caught up in the moment, but like a player's career when it has spanned sixteen years is not defined how it by how it ends, regardless of how rosy or shitty that ending is. And so, Carmelo yeah. Anthony, like you said, I think you're right to take issue with the things that you have. There's even in his prime, there's just complicated moments, complicated numbers. He's had a complicated career. He is, like you said, though, a legendary scorer. 19th all-time on the scoring list. Uh, Very few players have averaged over 24 points per game for their career with his still unimpressive true shooting percentage, but, you know, to be one of fewer than 15 players to reach those benchmarks is a big deal. Six All-NBA teams. He's going to be a first-bout All-Famer. Nothing in Oklahoma City, Houston, or now Portland is going to change that. Agreed. Guys are terrible at taking care of their health. Whether it's a knee injury, bad back, or something worse, guys are usually more comfortable rubbing some dirt on it than seeing a doctor. I'm guilty of it myself. I dislocated my shoulder just a few months ago. After it popped back in, rather than seeking immediate medical attention, I just wanted to continue about my daily life, deal with the pain, and hope that it would eventually get better without really doing anything to rest it or make sure that it gave me proper range of motion. The same is true for erectile dysfunction. Studies show 70% of guys who experience ED don't get treated for it. Thankfully, Roman created an easy way to chat with a doctor online. With Roman, you get medical care for ED, if appropriate, from the comfort and privacy of your own home. You can handle everything online in a convenient, discreet manner. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire and complete an online visit. If your doctor decides that treatment would be appropriate, they can prescribe genuine medication that can be delivered in discreet packaging right to your door with free two-day shipping. Guys, go talk to the doctor. Erectile dysfunction can be tough to tackle, but it's really important to get checked out. With Roman, it's easy to get connected to a doctor. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash BlueWire for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash BlueWire. Humans have been shaving for thousands of years. During that time, the secret to a great shave hasn't changed much. The ancient Greeks didn't need flex balls, they didn't need heated handles, and neither do you. That's why Harry's doesn't overcharge you to add gimmicky features to their razors. They focus on delivering what actually matters. Sharp, durable blades at a fair price. I love Harry's because it gives me the closest shave ever with an easy glide, and the razors come at a low price. Do us a favor. Check out harrys.com slash bluewire for your free trial today. Harry's is a return to the essential. Quality, durable blades 
at a fair price. It comes out to just $2 per blade. Harry's is also just super convenient. Blade refills are shipped right to your house when you sign up for a subscription. And there's no risk for trying them out. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Listeners of Hardwood Knox can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com slash bluewire. You'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel with aloe to keep your skin hydrated, and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire to start shaving better today. Are you ready to get super sad? Um, let me, hold on a second. Let me get in position for this. Okay, I'm ready. We're going to go through the injuries. I'm just going to rattle them off. We just talked about Zach Collins' uh, shoulder injury. So this is that's like how far behind we kind of are. We haven't really done a, <laughs> a news update in quite some time. So I'm just picking the most notable ones that have to do with mostly ex- extended absences. The list is, um, you know what, it, it stings. That's all I'm going to say. So we'll start with De'Aaron Fox, grade three ankle sprain. Uh, going to be reevaluated in three to four weeks. I would almost bet my life savings that he's going to be out fairly longer than three to four weeks. Gordon Hayward fractured left hand. He's going to miss about six weeks. Karis Levert is the most recent one on this list. I believe he had surgery to repair ligaments in his right thumb. The timetable is expected to be around four to six weeks for him as well. That's a dude that just can't catch a break. It seems. Yeah. Chris Middleton left thigh contusion expected to expected to miss around three to four weeks from the Milwaukee Bucks. Eric Gordon, he finally lived, and then now he's going to be on the bench for about six weeks after right knee surgery or procedure um, to clean up his injury. Landry Shamit has a grade two ankle sprain. Um, As The Athletics' uh, Yovan Bova wrote, uh, excuse me, noted, uh, butchered the pronunciation. I apologize for that. The average return time from that could be anywhere between six to 12 weeks. Otto Porter is still dealing with a left foot sprain. Uh, he does not have a timetable for return, but there is a chance by the time you listen to this that he has returned. Lonzo Ball has missed the past few games with an adductor injury. There hasn't been a clear timetable for his return. He's just basically game to game. The Raptors. Oh, my God, the Raptors. Yeah. Uh, Serge Ibaka out indefinitely with a sprained right ankle. Lowry has a fractured thumb that was expected to keep him on the sidelines at least two weeks, and he's kind of reaching, uh, you know, I think we're more than halfway or at least halfway into that prognosis now and then you had OG Ananobi getting poked in the eye by Kawhi Leonard in the Raptors' loss to the Clippers he however is expected to return on the day that you will be listening to this which is Saturday finally Clint Capella maybe he will have played by the time you listen to this but he's expected to miss Houston's Friday night game with concussion symptoms Whew, I hope I didn't forget anything but that was um that was a mouthful and so there, there are obviously other injuries teams are dealing with uh, on the margins of uh, Brandon Ingram's knee is banged up too. So there's just like, there's injuries all over the place. It seems like we get <laughs> at least one a day at this point, a uh, new injury. That's going to be, you know, at least three or four weeks. It, it does seem like there's been an uptick uh, in injuries in the first month or so of the season, you know, as opposed to seasons in the past, some of them are pretty significant. Um, even As Miles you Turner's was, ankle injury, like now that that's old, it's yeah. just like all these important players are missing real we time. We haven't even it, because it's kind of old. We didn't even mention Stephen Curry. I mean, there, there's there's just tons of big name injuries all over the league. 
I was I was talking about the Raptors before we started recording. Um, <laughs> shout out to Pascal Siakam. I mean, they're they're missing three very important players, and they just continue to chug along. And shout out to Fred Van Vliet too. Obviously, I mean, they, those two have been phenomenal uh, in the absence of those other three guys that you mentioned: Lowry, Abaka, and Ananobi. And even the, I, I was actually listening to the Howard Beck, Zach Lowe podcast uh, on my way into the office today. And they were, you know, Zach Lowe said, I'm, I'm, you know, I run Siakam Island or I can't remember how he put it, but I agree with him. He, he's been higher on Siakam than I think most people over the years. And he said, I didn't even expect this. Um, the way that he's hitting these dribble pull-ups in people's faces. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's wild how much different he is now as opposed to even two years ago or even one year ago. Um, he doesn't like we, we think about really good NBA players as adding like subtle wrinkles to their game every summer. He's adding like drastic changes every summer. Um, the big one for him this season is the above the break stuff. Like he's hitting jumpers from all over the floor and he has this this just um, he, he's got a confidence to him that it's really fun to watch. I mean, he's he is budding into a superstar um, in my eyes. I think he's got a you know, this is not saying anything. That isn't obvious at this point, but he's got a good shot at all NBA. Um, the other ones that you mentioned that I, you know, I think are, you know, real significant are Gordon Hayward in Boston. Although they've, you know, they looked, I don't, I don't know how many games they've played without him, but they look pretty good. Of course, they played the Wizards, so most teams are going to look pretty good against that defense. Uh, but I just Hayward was playing so well up until that injury, and I was, you know, I was kind of excited for him to have this bounce back season that he was having. He almost, in some ways, I think you could argue he was maybe their best player for the first few games of the season. He wasn't scoring as much as Kemba, but he was playing good defensively. He was rebounding. He was doing a little playmaking. Starting to see sort of that all-around game that he had in Utah. And then the, the De'Aaron Fox one is obviously huge. I mean, the Kings were already in, you know, troubled waters before that. With, That's with the a kind news way that of putting it. Yeah. With the news that he's going to be out for... Like you said, I think it's going to be a lot longer than three to four weeks. That's just a reevaluation date. Um, that's another team that we, we looked at before the season as, hey, they, they might have a shot at the playoffs. We might be able to kiss those shots goodbye. Um, this is not totally related, although it is, I think, partially. I, I Before the season, I was thinking maybe there's 12 teams, maybe there's 13 teams in the West that you can make a reasonable argument, can get into the playoffs. I think that is cleared up a lot quicker than I thought it would. And injuries have had something to do with that. I mean, it obviously eliminated the Warriors, although I don't think they would have made it even if Curry was healthy. And I think they may have eliminated the Kings too. So we're already seeing the playoff picture in the West a little bit clearer than we did before the season started. Yeah, I would say that De'Aaron Vox's injury is the most gutting. I'm actually not too worried about the Gordon Hayward injury just because Boston has really good wing depth. He was playing well, but Jalen Brown's been on one for most of the year, and I think you could argue that Jason Tatum can improve by way of shot selection just because he is hitting his threes. And so I know his true shooting dropped below 50 because of that one of 18 clunker he turned in. So, and Marcus Smart has been, look, Marcus Smart's three-point shot, by the way, is a thing. People said maybe last year wasn't sustainable. He's third on the Celtics in three-point attempts per 36 minutes, and he's shooting better than 37%. I said for years, sorry to cut you off, but I said for years, if Marcus Smart was even an average shooter, he's like a top 50 player in the league, and he's been better than that the last two seasons, so I'm I'm with you there. 
Yeah. So, yeah. but Kings, I think their their season is over to me. They they are. They've won four of their last five, including a win against Portland without De'Aaron Fox, and maybe that's what prompted uh, the Blazers to really go after Melo too. So, I just think I, I'm with you. It, that's the that's the most gutting one to me. Middleton's big in Milwaukee, but they'll be able to navigate it. Um, your point about and for the Kings, by the way, their point differential without De'Aaron Fox is actually better than their point differential with him, but their offense is noticeably worse. Like, it is bad. So yeah. that's going to be something to monitor as well. And then on the Siakam stuff, uh, the above-the-break three three thing, Zach Lowe noted it uh, a couple days ago. I I wrote something about it earlier on in the season, was interested to see whether it would hold, and it's it's clearly going to hold. And it's just like you said there, he's making these – he's like leaps every season. They're not these incremental improvements. He's just making leaps every season at this point. And this one's the hardest one to make because he's going from the most improved player now to, I would say one of the five best MVP candidates right now. Uh, And what's interesting, this sample size is limited. He's played 326 possessions without Ibaka or Lowry on the floor. The Raptors are plus 13.5 points per 100 possessions during that time. So, and look, the, the thing that's great, Marcus Gasol hasn't even played that well uh, offensively this year yet. He shot okay from three, and he's starting to make more of his shots, but he wasn't taking or making a ton before. He, there are these lineups. He's playing with Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, who's, yeah, giving them good minutes, but they, it's Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. I'm probably still scarred from the Brooklyn experience with him. You have Terrence Davis and, and Matt Thomas. Like, the lineups that Chris Boucher, like, the lineups these, the Raptors are running out and that they're competitive against – the Lakers and, and the Clippers and, and they're winning these games. It's Pascal Siakam's MVP case is writing itself right now. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, that you mentioned Randy Hollis Jefferson. He was another player that was, uh, has been fun to watch this week. And, and what makes that part interesting to me is those preseason comments from Nick nurse. Um, he just skewered Randy Hollis Jefferson <laughs> and Stanley Johnson and uh, I, I actually just found a stat on Hollis Jefferson last night, like in the past week, which is, you know, the time that he's been in the rotation. He leads the league in deflections and loose balls recovered. Um, and, and Nick Nurse's biggest criticism of him is that he doesn't he doesn't play hard enough to be a Raptor, essentially. And so I think he took that to heart. Um, the Raptor, I mean, we're, we're kind of getting off injuries now, but the Raptors deserve so much credit. Um, are they kind of like the new Spurs? Like they can just take anybody plug him in and get, you know, contributions from him. It seems like they have a just a fantastic scouting part department, a fantastic development team. Um, they're, they're set up to be very good for a long time, and they have been very good for a long time. So maybe maybe it's just now being recognized. And, yeah, so we had Haley O'Shaughnessy from The Ringer on our last podcast, and she noted that maybe Nick Nurse is kind of getting the reputation now as someone who can also extract more production out of guys who aren't. Yeah traditionally great and so look Ronnie Hollis Jefferson is shooting 75 percent at the rim right now and his career percentage at the rim is 58.1 percent I need to see more he hasn't even played yeah, in five games for the Raptors yet but he, I, look they're getting good minutes from him they got good minutes from Chris Boucher on some nights the Raptors are are a fun watch and and right now injuries have something to do with this but no one's running away with the east and I don't think if they're healthy by the end of the year as of right now I don't think it's a stretch to say they have a chance to come out of the conference. No, I, I, I now am at a point where I think all four of those teams at the top being in the finals would not surprise me. The Bucks, the Sixers, the Celtics, and the Raptors. Um, the, I, I've seen 
very encouraging signs from all four of those teams and some discouraging ones from the top two, <laughs> at least the ones that I thought would be top two. Are you ready to do some mailbag questions? I am. Um, these are going to be totally off the cuff for me. So uh, have fun with that, listeners. At Couch Mamba, um, he says Luca's offensive numbers are insane. He seems to be getting some MVP talk. Should his current level of defensive play stop the chatter? Well, I, no. I, I don't like James <laughs> I don't think Harden he's been that bad MVP. defensively before you take over. Um, you know, he's he's not like a lockdown defender, but I don't think it should preclude like it's it's not anything that should shut down the MVP talk. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, look, he's not a good defender. I don't know if he'll ever be a good defender, but he's averaging nearly a triple double. He's not shooting his best from three yet, but his true shooting percentage is still above sixty. Yeah. The numbers we were talking about this before the podcast, in the macro, the Mavericks are getting killed when he shares the floor without Porzingis. They're getting killed when Porzingis plays without him. They are steamrolling opponents when Doncic plays without Kristaps. And the bigger concern for me might be, does Luka Doncic have the stamina to keep this up all year? It'll help if the Mavericks don't mm-hmm. have like this huge midseason turnover trade like they did last year. But they're going to need more out of Kristaps Porzingis as an actual second option. Because when he's sharing the floor with Doncic right now, it does kind of seem like he's floating around out there and there are some times where he'll attack closeouts and stuff but he's not the one who's setting ball screens and and there don't seem to be like a ton of plays where he's going start to finish uh the defense he's been fine around the rim but he looks really uncomfortable in space i thought he looked better in the preseason than he has now he's coming back from an acl injury but that would i would be more concerned about Doncic not being able to keep up just this torrid pace because of how much he's doing and at the same time i'm not even overwhelmingly concerned about that yeah, I'm not overwhelmingly concerned about it either. I don't I don't think his ceiling and potential was ever based on defense. And and you gotta be better than like terrible to get by in the NBA. And I don't I don't think he's been that. One thing that's been curious or interesting to me is how often he defends the the other team's pure point guard, um, for lack of a better term. And he's obviously not gonna be as quick laterally as most of those guys. But I think just the fact that he's huge for a point guard helps him there. Um, he can he can take up space. He can make up some ground with that size. Um, so I don't I don't think he's a lost cause defensively, and I don't think it should impact his MVP chances. I think what impacts his MVP chances is the rest of the team. Um, Dallas is probably going to finish, I would guess, in the mid forties in wins, and and you know I think the optimistic projection at this point would probably be like a sixth or seventh seed in the West. And that's just probably not going to be good enough to win MVP, especially with the other guys that are ahead of him right now. Like Giannis is going to have a stronger case. Um, you know, LeBron's going to have a stronger case. I, we, we, I could go down the MVP ladder. Um, Luca will probably get some fifth place votes for, for MVP. Do they go to fifth place when they're voting MVP? I think yeah, they we do. can have, I think they go to 10, at least on the basketball reference ballot. Okay, so he's going to get some votes. Um, he, I don't think he'll finish close, but the fact that he's in the conversation already at age 20 is, uh, you know, it's wild. Uh, I, I thought he would be very, very good. I, I think you can vouch for me on that. I, <laughs> I certainly wasn't out on a limb <laughs> in thinking that Luka Doncic would be good. It wasn't an original point at the time. But he's, 
I, I don't think anybody could have expected this by year two. The guy is averaging about 30 points, 10 rebounds, and nine assists. Um, I, I ran his raw numbers through the player season finder last night. The only guys who've ever done it are Oscar Robertson three times and Westbrook once. Uh, and Robertson's youngest season, he was 22. Luca is 20. Um, you know, I think there's some reason to think, well, they're playing in an era where offenses are just so uh, centered around stars and the pace is up. So that's why we're seeing all these huge numbers the last couple of seasons. And I think there is some truth to that. But the fact that he's been able to do what he's doing is just um, it's it's phenomenal. Oh, I'm, I'm 100 percent with you. Can I actually ask my own mailbag question now that has nothing to do with Luka Doncic? Absolutely. What did you think of Paul George's return to the lineup? That's something I meant to hit before we got into this. I wasn't watching it, but I looked at his box score at one point, and he had 26 points in under 17 minutes at the time. And he ended up with he Whoa. ended up with 33 points, 9 rebounds, and 4 assists. He was 10 of 17 from the floor, including 3 of 5 from 3. And he shot 10 free throws, too. He hit all of them. Just feel like we should just note that. The Clippers are going to end up being really scary. As you said, you were talking about Luka's dominance. And then I was. it made me just think of what Paul George did in his first game back. And now I just yeah. feel like the Clippers, when Kawhi and Paul George get to play together, that's that's just that's a team. Absolutely. I didn't. I actually didn't watch much of that game either. But thirty-three points in twenty-four minutes when you're coming off, you know, double shoulder problems is <laughs> certainly encouraging. You would think the thing that would take him some time to get used to is shooting again, because you need your shoulders to shoot a basketball. Um, Do you? But he, <laughs> but he was phenomenal. Um, you know, losing to the Pelicans is an ideal, but like you said, Kawhi was out. They have this nice little luxury where they can just sort of alternate superstar players. Um, if they're both ready and healthy for the playoffs, it's it, they're going to be a nightmare to he, face. He also had five fouls and five turnovers in his first 17 minutes, and I thought that was kind of impressive too. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't realize how much he did in those first 17 minutes. Five fouls and five turnovers and all those points. Um, Just wild. I mean, they were missing Beverly and Leonard, and they they lost to the Pelicans. But that, I mean, that as far as returns, like you said, from double shoulder surgeries. Yeah though that was pretty fantastic yeah shout out to Derek Favors for going 20 and 20 in that game too um other guy this, who's been injured yeah he, he's had plenty of issues um this season and prior to this season at needs more input asks why do so many diss the mid-range I mean I would just the only thing I'm going to say because I'm almost tired of talking about this is I did an entire podcast with Seth Seth Barton out of The Athletic, and we talked about that extensively. And it can really be boiled down to uh, the way he put it in his article and, and even on the podcast is that the players who don't have as much control over the offense are now standing in smarter places around those stars. And the off-the-dribble, long-two, mid-range two is always going to be available for those star players. You do have to worry about shot quality, but then there's also always going to be guys like a healthy Kevin Durant where it's, you know, fuck it, you can shoot whatever you want. That's just where I'm at with it. I don't know where you're at with it. Um, I, I think if you're a superstar who's really, really good in the mid, in, in the mid range, excuse me, uh, go for it. I mean, if you're Kevin Durant, go for it. If you're Dirk Nowitzki, go for it. If you're uh, Donovan Mitchell, He's he's shooting a ridiculous percentage from long two right now. Go for it. I don't know if his will hold, by the way. 
It won't. Um, but go on. <laughs> but a good percentage, like I, I, I would, I don't even know what the average is right now. Maybe that's something that I will calculate one of these days. Let's just say the long two or the mid range, like average percentage, is low forties to mid forties. You're looking at zero point nine points per shot. Um, if you shoot uh, 33%, which is below average from three, you're already, you're well above that. You're at about one point per shot. Um, just getting up threes is really important in today's NBA. And, and you can survive an off night shooting from three because, like I just said, being slightly below average is still being better than average or slightly above average uh, from the mid-range. So it's not that people diss the mid-range, um, it's just a simple mathematical thing. Like if you're good enough to shoot 50 to 55% in there, have at it. But there's just so few of those guys. Um, and if you have one, it's, you know, it's certainly a nice luxury because I think anytime you can soften up the defense in one spot or, or, you know, you can punish the defense in one spot, you can soften it up in another. So if a defense has to worry about a guy, you know, getting loose in the mid range, maybe they fall asleep at the rim or at the three point line a little bit and you get some more shots there. Um, it's, there's kind of like a symbiotic thing happening with offenses. But uh, if you're like, I, I think the the ultimate um, example of this is DeMar DeRozan. He's known for his entire career as this great mid-range shooter, but he's just not really. Um, I, I looked at the, the mid-range field goal percentage for him each of his, each year of his career the other day, and he's just using a ton of possessions at a below average level. And then you put the rest, you, you burden the rest of the team to make up for that hole that you're digging. Um, he He's an interesting case for a lot of reasons. Now, the last time I looked, he had only taken one three-point attempt this entire season. I think he's, he's still there. Two. I think he's up to two. <laughs> um, in his defense. It's almost like Popovich and the Spurs and DeRozan are trying to like stick it to the general intelligentsia right now. Like, hey, we can be successful without doing these obvious things. Um, and I think it's going to catch up to him this year. I thought it would catch up to him last year. It obviously didn't. Uh, the offense was somehow one of their strengths, despite a very bad shot profile in my eyes. Um, I, I, I think it catches up to him this year just because I, I have to believe that the math wins out eventually uh, in this particular, you know, debate. But uh, so I don't, you know, again, I don't think I dislike the mid-range. In fact, I think it's pretty cool to to watch somebody who can score from all three levels. Um, I just think you got to leave that to the guys who are really, really good at it. And that's the whole point of it is just, and you're not building offenses around that shot anymore, particularly when no. you look at catch and shoot off ball guys, you don't want them standing 17 or 18 feet away from the basket. Yeah. That, I mean, it clogs up everything there, there's a reason that the smart teams have guys space the floor, like five or six feet outside the three point line. Um, and it's not, look, it's, Get, the teams are taking a ton of threes, but still the the best shot in basketball is the uncontested dunk. Yeah. Like that's what the you The best shot in basketball is still at the rim or even a trip to the free throw line. I mean, that's and, the ultimate. And possession. it's easier to do that. If the stars, the players who are on the ball have more room to work. And by standing outside of mid range and going beyond the arc, the players without the ball are helping them then increase those opportunities. Yeah. There's, there's a lot more to it than just, where the shot is coming from and you you brought it up spacing is huge um you know there, there's all kinds of factors the other i called this on that podcast like the disease of social media has kind of turned it into this needs yeah. to be a clear cut 
issue where there's definitely yeah. more nuance to that and there's other directions to take the conversation but people either want it to be the mid-range is dead or you know casuals don't know what they're talking about when they say that the mid-range is a bad shot there, there has to be like only two sides to the argument rather than like a a happy medium or or just like again like a nuanced discussion about yeah. it yeah the disease of social media that's a good term um jared hedrick at jrdmh22 does the hot start by Van Vliet, Boucher, Ananobi, and Siakam warrant the teardown of the Raptors and giving them the keys to the franchise? Wait, what? They, he wants to tear down. So I think what he's saying is, can uh, maybe you trade Lowry at this point? But I think that was more likely if the Raptors weren't good. Um, and, and and I think this is still a nice thing to see if you're a Raptors fan or you're the Raptors front office. You can think. You know, when Lowry and Gasol and those guys eventually do move on, we've got a solid core in place. Um, it'll be really interesting to see what happens with Fred Van Vliet this summer, what kind of money right. he's going to get. Um, so so I think there's some encouraging signs that, yes, we've got a core that can win even without Kyle Lowry. But I think for this season, um, like you said, it wouldn't be shocking if they made it back to the finals. So I, I think you got to keep everything intact. Yeah, they'll have... Like they'll have tough reagency decisions to make, but they kind of they neutered one of them by extending Kyle Lowry. You don't I don't know that I would call Serge Ibaka or Marcus Saul essential to what they would do if they're trying to stay competitive next year. And I also don't know that the markets are gonna be so strong such that they're gonna command a ton of money that either wouldn't be movable or that the Raptors would be hesitant to pay. They have some tough decisions, but if you're playing like this, you know, by the trade deadline still and you're healthier, I don't know why you would even think about trading the veterans. Yeah, I I'm, I would be out on that right now too. Um, at Nick for, or not at at SoCal High Nick Fernandez, he asks, "Are the Suns for real?" I I I think yes, but I don't I don't know that I would pick them to make the playoffs. There are just when you look at what they've done this season, though, I feel like there's not enough of oh, that's not sustainable going on with their team for us to now completely reject it. And so, it, it, like, yes, is Aaron Baines going to shoot a zillion percent from three forever? Probably not. Is Kelly Oubre Jr. going to hit so many jumpers off the dribble? I would probably say no. But, you know, Devin Booker is more efficient in a more more, more manageable offensive role. That's yeah. not surprising. Uh, Ricky Rubio, his defense is age pretty nicely and he's brought some game managing to the offense that's not a surprise uh tyler johnson might be shooting slightly above his peak uh dario sarge to me has room to improve on the offensive end neither mikhail bridges nor cameron johnson has been a, a pleasant surprise they've both been disappointing so i just look at the fact that they're where they are now like they have a top five net rating against one of the harder schedules in the league it's just, I don't know how unreal this could be. The West is a bloodbath. And so when you look at who's outside the playoff picture right now, San Antonio and Portland specifically, is it fair to have more faith in those teams turning it around to the point where maybe Phoenix is like ninth or 10th? Yes. But you and I, I think picked, did we pick the under for the Suns? I don't, neither of us felt good about it, but we picked the under for the remember. Suns. Yeah. And so they do, I would be. At this point, I think that we can comfortably say Phoenix is one of the 10 best teams in the Western Conference. And that's not like a pot shot at what they've done because those 10 spots in the Western Conference are tough. 
So I actually, I would have more faith in them making the playoffs than the Blazers or the Spurs at this point. Um, I, 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 so the answer to that question, obviously for me is yes, I think they're for real to what, you know, what does that mean? Um, I think they're in that mix of teams that are going to be like, you know, six through nine or 10, um, that are just going to be battling out for those last couple playoff spots all season. They're obviously not a legit contender or anything like that, but to go from where they've been for the last few years to this is certainly encouraging. Um, I, I'm with everything that you said there. I, did you say Cameron Johnson's been disappointing though? I, I actually would, think he's been pretty good for them. What was he shooting before? Wasn't it like he's shooting 42% from three averaging eight points in 16 minutes. I think, I think he's been a nice little surprise. They've just got a lot of competent guys now, I think. And depth and in, in surrounding Devin Booker with competence, uh, you know, surprise, surprise makes him look better. Um, yeah. I guess there's, <laughs> There's the question of what happens when DeAndre Ayton comes back. I don't think it's as big a problem as maybe some people are thinking that it could be. Um, do you remember when there was talk of him maybe playing power forward before the season started? I do. I wonder if they're going to try that. And they, I, I hate to be like a full-fledged member of this new cult of Aaron Baines, but uh, he's been phenomenal in that role he's shooting 47 percent from three he sets these ridiculous screens that free everybody up um I, I think he's been a really really important part of their success to this point and he had some success playing along al horford or playing alongside al horford in boston and obviously deandre ayton is not al horford um you know there were reasons that that jumbo front court work that just aren't going to be present with ayton and baines um, but when Aiton comes back, they've got to figure out a way to, to continue to play Baines, you know, a, a good amount of minutes. I am pretty much with everything you said right there. Didn't even realize Cam Johnson was shooting such a high clip from three either. Mikhail He's been Bridges, solid. He was a guy that, you know, I understood why people were kind of up in arms about that draft pick. It, it did seem like a reach, but from what I had seen, he was just such a ridiculous shooter. And I thought, you know, in today's NBA, if you got a six, eight guy that can shoot the lights out, um, there, there's a lot you can do with that. Let's see. Um, I know that you don't love talking about officials, but I'm going to throw this one out there anyway. Um, and maybe we'll just use it as a jumping off point for a different discussion. But Jared Cummings at J underscore D underscore Cummings asks, will Harden ever be officiated by the same rules as the other 400 plus players in the league? Um, and that's obviously, you know, kind of a hyperbolic way to ask the question, but and I'm sure you have. Have you looked at James Harden's free throw rate this season? I, yes, I, I've seen James Harden's free throw rate and it's roughly infinity. <laughs> 15.3 free throw attempts per game. His previous career high was last season at 11. Um he, He's making 13 and a half free throws per game. He's making 10.1 field goals per game um i i agree with a lot of people that there's some skill and, and maybe a lot of skill and yeah, there's the a ton way, of skill in that are we in really going to downplay he what he's fouls. doing but <laughs> the, you have to admit that there are tons of these calls where you're like uh i, I didn't quite see the foul there i, I don't know i I'm, i mean he's like good I said, at I selling think, contact that isn't there particularly when he's inside the arc that's i don't yeah 
it, I, I, it's going to come down at some point. I, I don't know if you think it's a problem or anything like that. I just, you know, what is your general takeaway of a player who's shooting 15 free throws a game? <laughs> Look, I don't think you watch the Rockets and think that they're highly entertaining all the time. And if you are just a, you know, chopper in basketball fan, I can get why the aesthetics Rockets are... fans get so mad when people say that, by the way. I, look, that I they're can, not fun to watch. I can get why some people don't see the aesthetics as an enjoyable of their game. But James Harden is wildly talented. And I don't know if there was someone that I think could do what he does. I, I don't know that we could say he's being officiated differently. Then there's you look at even at his his step back like Luca Luca has a step back but it's just a little bit different because of like Harden is getting these guys to just lunge more it seems yeah. like and then again he's good at really selling contact that isn't there at times in the lane I don't I don't think there's a bias towards James Harden on on the officials part that I just don't I don't understand why there would be what the incentive would be I don't know what if we're just looking at his free throw volume as proof, that just doesn't do it for me. I look, it's absurdly high. His free throw attempt rate is, I think it's it was over six two last time I looked. Yeah, it's six two five right now. That's incredibly high. I don't. I'm I, always going to be one of those guys who think stars are officiated different than the average player because I just you know. Yeah, I'm but now we're turning that into the territory that James Harden is being officiated differently than the average star. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know. And when what, I watch him, there are so many working. calls where I'm like, what just happened? Um, the, the Rockets <laughs> have told- no business being so comfortably above 500 when you look at that roster and some of the stuff that they've done. Yeah. The load he's carrying, however he's doing it, like the load he's carrying is is a, obscenely impressive. So I don't. It's, yeah, it's it's a. It's huge. He he also does get to take uh, 15 breaks per game at the free throw line. So maybe he gets a breather there. Uh, can you guess what his season low is in free throw attempts in a single game? What is season what? Low. Season oh, low. Oh, jeez. Um, I'm going to say eight. 11. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So he hasn't had a single game with single-digit free throw attempts. Nope. Yikes. And then over under the number of games where he's had – more than 16 free throw attempts. How many games have they played? 11. I'm going to, I'll set your over under Ooh. at, what's a good over under? I'll set it at three. I better just take the over on that. Yeah, it was four. I don't really know how it's going to trick you there, but. Wow. Um, yeah, not, not my cup of tea. That's for sure. Um, and I will, I will forever, for the rest of my NBA fandom, be screaming at the TV when I do not see calls that I, or when I see calls that I do not like. Um, let's see here. Let's do a couple rapid fire here. Uh, this is from Artie at Artie being Artie. Will Garland and Sexton work together long term? I I don't know, so that's a cop out. I will say this, uh, Colin Sexton. The three-point shooting didn't have the greatest night against Miami in his last game, but his three-point shooting is for real. He's attempting to to take more off-the-dribble threes, and they seem like they're close. They're a little bit short, and so I feel like he'll get there. When he attacks the rim, too, he's just a different offensive player. And then for Darius Garland, it seems like from the Cavs games I've seen, so Cleveland fans, please don't get mad. I'm also about to compliment him, so even if I'm wrong, maybe let it fly. It seems like he's getting a little bit more separation off the dribble, 
And my official prediction would be that there's a chance the Cavaliers are able to assemble an average defense around such a backcourt. Colin Sexton isn't big, but he gets into guys when he's on the ball. He did an okay job on Jimmy Butler for part of that Heat game where, again, the Cavaliers were destroyed. And then Darius Garland just like gets his hand in places. And so I'm going to say that I am infinitely more optimistic about a Garland-Sexton backcourt than I was entering the season. And I don't know if that's kind of like an insult or flat out <laughs> wrong, but that's just where I'm at. I've been I've been beyond pleasantly surprised with with what they've not that they've done together because the results aren't particularly great, but just with looking at Sexton offense, some of the stuff he's done on the ball and defense, and then Garland now kind of seems like he's starting to come along a little bit. And we have to remember he had what do you play four games while he was at college, so his NBA career is now longer than his college career. Yeah. I think they're probably a little too small for me to be like real excited about their long-term prospects, but they do have some complimentary Aren't you a fan skills. of a team that starts Conley and Donovan Mitchell? Yeah. It's not the biggest <laughs> trust, trust me, I have the same worries uh, about <laughs> them. Um, so yeah, I guess, I guess there's reason for concern, but the, the Cavs in general, not just Garland and Sex, Sexton have looked significantly better than I thought they would this season. Shout out to John Beeline for getting them to do some fun stuff. If I um, told you the Cavs were about league average in defensive rating, am I lying or telling the truth? Uh, I'm going to say you're telling the truth. I am. And it's it's lower than it was before that loss to Miami because they got absolutely hammered. But shout out to John Beeline because that's not a team. Shout out to the team because you don't look at their personnel. And I want you to single out how many plus defenders you know that they have. To be yeah. like outside the bottom seven in defensive efficiency is that a is- feat. Wild. A feat, yeah. Andy. A feat. <laughs> at LeBrooks James and oh, come on. <laughs> and at Benjamin Wirt, they both ask uh, essentially the same thing. What do we think about Andrew Wiggins' hot start? And I think you probably know what I think about it because I was uh, very tentatively and cautiously pounding that Andrew Wiggins drum before the season started. Was it passionately? It felt like dispassionately. I said right? tentatively. <laughs> oh, tentatively. I thought you said passionately. Yeah. If you can like barely tap the drum, that's what I was doing. <laughs> if you can, if you could just hold the drum and hum, that's what yeah. he was doing. Yeah, that's what I was doing. I, I don't know what to think of it. He's like he's hitting his threes both on the catch and off the dribble. He's shooting. This is an approximation, but roughly a trillion percent on his floaters right now. <laughs> I, I don't really know what – and his his passing, you know, I feel like they're really the first team to put – or the first version of this team to put him in, like, in, in a situation where he can dis out – dis out, wow, dish out so many assists. I can't talk today. I'm coming down with a cold in case anybody can't hear it. I, I don't know what to think. I need to see more before I say it's sustainable. But you did say you still held out hope for him and maybe just more inventive coaching, a little bit of role – consistency and then Minnesota shot pretty well from three point range this year, having that extra space in theory could end up being good for him. I hope it works out for him. And uh, you know, almost 40% of his plays are coming out of the pick and roll. Now that's a change for him. His, his previous career high, I think was barely over 25. I'm actually wrong there. 2016, 2017, 32.1% of his plays came out of the pick and roll, but the things we're seeing now, it's unprecedented pick and roll volume for him. And, you know, the passing has really started to, to come. Yeah. 
that's the reason I think it's sustainable is because the biggest differences are all things that are coaching changes. Uh, he's he's running more out of the pick and roll. He's eliminating a lot of the long twos. He's uh, being put in the role of a playmaker more often than he ever has before. Um, so I, I think all of those things together make me. Um, I, I just think it's sustainable. I don't I don't know if he's going to maintain quite this level of play, but I think it's clear that he's better than he has been in years past. Um, he's he's not just like an empty calories scorer anymore and that's that's cool i think the timberwolves are another team um that i you know they're more in the playoff mix than i thought they were uh coming into the season the timberwolves and the suns are the two teams um that i i kind of like checking the 538 playoff odds pretty regularly to to see what the statistics say uh the playoff standings are going to end up being and the last three seeds in the west right now are the mavericks the suns and the timberwolves um, I, I don't know if that'll hold. I could easily see the Suns and the Timberwolves coming back down to earth at some point this season, but I think it's cool that both of those teams have, have exceeded expectations to this point. So, um, another interesting I think wrinkle Timberwolves have been almost dead even in the minutes that Andrew Wiggins has played without Carl Anthony Towns. Oh, that's yeah, that's big. I would not have guessed almost that. dead even, still in that negative. Just want to stress yeah. that. All right, is there anything else you wanted to hit before we sign off? No, not unless there's anything that you wanted to hit. Shout out to Carmelo Anthony for winning his first ever MVP in the future. So <laughs> congratulations to him. Yeah, if he if he pulls the Blazers out of whatever tailspin they're in right now, I'll, I'll throw him in the conversation. Um, <laughs> we hit a lot on this episode. Uh, Carmelo Anthony, a bunch of injuries, a bunch of your mailbag questions. If you want to you know, hit us up, on Twitter, uh, as Dan provided those handles at the beginning, I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. He's at Dan Favalli, F-A-V-A-L-E. The show is at Hardwood Knox. The podcast network is at Blue Wire Pods. Um, the sponsor is at NBA underscore math. As always, we encourage you uh, to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. If you've already done that, make sure your friends, family, uh, random people you run into on the street do that as well. And until next time... We leave you with the shout-out to Benno Udri. There's a shirt that commemorates that, by the way. Go to Blue Wire Pods, merch, buy it. Uh, And a shout-out to Kyle Anderson. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.